and welcome to another episode of the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. And with me, I have Gail Batke, the author of For the Sake of the Children, The Message. Gail, we've tried to do this for a very long time, and it's all been me. (laughs) It's all been me. I've been so busy, and so many things, as you know, have come up. But we um, actually, the timing of it is really good, because at the time I first wanted to connect with you and talk about the splinter group of the message that you were in, I really didn't know enough about the background to understand it. So it has actually worked out better for the better that we're doing it now (laughs) instead of then. But to the audience, I'll I'll let you introduce yourself, but I'll just say that here in Jeffersonville, Indiana, where the Branham Tabernacle is, there's not just one massive cult. There are actually two cult groups, and both of them, unbeknownst to most of the community in Jeffersonville and the surrounding area, both of them are actually connected, and one is a splinter group of the other. And with that, here is Gail Batke. Hi, John, and yes, thankfully, we finally got together. Um, I'm Gail, and I did write the book for the sake of the children uh, many years after I left the cult, uh, which, of course, is uh, under the name of Christ Gospel Churches Internationally Incorporated. And as you said, uh, we have in this little town of ours two major cults that reach all the way around the world. There are, and... Um, you know, also, since we have attempted to do this the first time, I have spoken with many people who were around during the years that I was not even alive. One of them is a big name that most of our audience, uh, the researchers in our audience know, which is Paul Kane. Had some conversations with Paul Kane, who was part of the Kansas City Prophets and you know, a weirder mess than what we were in, I think. <clears throat> Maybe not. But he mentioned that William Branham at one point in time had a female minister that was assisting him in the in the tabernacle, in the Branham tabernacle, which goes against every single thing that I knew and believed growing up. And, you know, I, I'm certain that if there are people who are in the message, who are in the, the Branham side of the message, who are listening to this, they're going to just deny it. No, there's no way this happened. There's no way a female was was a minister in this because the later versions of William Branham's stage persona were strongly against female preachers. Yet, here's this conundrum, right? Here is a here's right. a lady who was a minister who was, you know, he she assisted to some level in the Branham Tabernacle. According to Paul Kane, she was very, very integral to the Branham Tabernacle. But, you know, whatever it was that she was doing, at at a minimum, she was out of the the complete scope of what was allowed in the cult when I grew up. And she started the spinoff church that you were a part of. Absolutely. Absolutely. My parents joined the organization when I was 10. And uh, so that would be in 1964. I think they joined like in 63, but we actually moved to the Jeffersonville area for the first time uh, uh, in 1964. Uh, My knowledge of the Branhams was uh, very much... uh, limited to what I heard from Reverend Hicks from the pulpit. And uh, fortunately, I had the experience of doing hair, uh, all the updos, I used to do all those. And I had several ladies from the Branham Tabernacle. In fact, Mabel Branham was one of my wonderful customers uh, who was was at his brother, Doc, was his, uh, she called him Doc. Uh, and I did her hair for many years. We had wonderful conversations and fellowship. And that was when uh, I discovered a flip side of what I had always heard from the pulpit about William Branham. Uh, Because we were told, uh, my memory is uh, being told that um, uh, 
his untimely premature death was because he turned against her. He turned against Bernice Hicks, so therefore God took him out prematurely. Yeah. And what I what I do know, the she was she did play the organ for him, and supposedly she had a Sunday school class. And again, the other thing that was a common thing that was said very often in my growing up years uh, was how that he was jealous of her because quote her Sunday school class became bigger than his congregation there. You know, there's just so much of the story that is completely different than what you and I were told. I have also since I've, you know, had this conversation with you about doing this, I've dug into the Branham brothers and the Branham family. I was trying to piece together the timeline because Mm -hmm. William Branham wasn't quite honest about his birth year. And Mm -hmm. it's significant because... The later versions of his stage persona, he actually tied his birth year to a significant prophecy of sorts. And so he had multiple versions of himself. So I started digging into his brothers and one of his brothers, and I'll try to remember to throw up a photograph of him, but one of his brothers that toured with him wasn't Doc. It was the other brother, uh, Howard. And Howard had he owned a bar back home and he he did not live the lifestyle of who who you'd picture touring with these guys but it wasn't such a problem back then because the version of them back then isn't what we were told at all it was not problematic at all even the fact that these ladies are going to a hairdresser i mean i know some women in the cult do but there is a vast majority of people in the cult that even that's not allowed you can't you can't let your women fix them up to be pretty (laughs) yeah 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 and and uh I had the privilege also uh, later in uh, in my twenties uh, doing a lady's hair that actually uh, her name was Barbara and her and a lady that I also knew named Lily May they actually were in a trio with Bernice Hicks while they were at the Tabernacle oh, wow. and uh, yeah and she told me stories because uh, she would they would have been like ten years younger than Bernice. And uh, but she told me stories and you're right. It's um, it's very they could have never gotten away with what they got away with in today's technology. I can just <laughs> promise you that Absolutely. because, oh, my goodness, things that I heard, stories that I heard were just um, just unfathomable, except that I knew that she was not lying because she was just telling it like the story's laughing, you know, about, oh, no, we blah, blah, this, and we blah, blah, that. And, I, and I'm standing there doing her hair thinking, <laughs> wow, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the life that I had to live, having been a child, and my dad was a minister and a pastor of, of her some of her churches. And so we were ruled by, we abode by the rules, you know, and my dad, yeah. of course, was a minister prior to coming there. And, um, uh, he had been married before, uh, before meeting my mother, and uh, the denominations back then would not, uh, when he got the call to preach, they would not ordain him, and that's how she sucked him into the organization, was because she said he she would ordain him. Yeah, you know, I'm glad that you said it like that, because... So growing up for me, I I was in the cult elite. I was my grandfather ran the head church, right? So I got to right. see a side of people that most of the other people did not see. And you know, it's in some cases it was night and day difference. Not every case. There are some people who were right. genuine. But in some right. cases, the you would never picture these people. You'd never call them spiritual. <laughs> I'll just say it like that and yeah. and yeah. leave it at that. <clears throat> but so I I have actually read your book for this, and I'm Thank holding you. it up multiple times. I read it the first time that you gave it to me. I can't even remember when that was. It was probably two years ago or about least, that. Yeah, and yeah then, about two years. Yeah. Right. And then um, I've actually read it a second time whenever I began digging into the Manifested Sons of God theology, which is mm. significant. And I, at the time, I still didn't understand it. And so I'm actually going through it a third time to 
kind of pieced together the histories, but for the audience, Gail is one of the superheroes in helping people escape destructive groups that I, I can't even describe how evil they are. True. Very true. They're evil. They are uh, grossly uh, negligent about their children's uh, needs and and uh, their upbringing. It's... Um, and that's the reason I named my book for the sake of the children, because I am be 70 years old next year and I'm a great grandmother. And I still see some of the things, some of the building blocks that I should have had in my life just as a normal American girl. Um, and they just float in the most weird ways that you, you would never think that being raised in a cult could linger that long through so many, so many, much of the fabric of your being. And, um, but when I left, I didn't leave like so many people leave. I didn't leave because I wanted to cut my hair or because I got mad at somebody or any of those reasons. My reason for leaving was sadly that my pastor lied to me in a meeting for four hours in her basement. And the reason we were at her house is because my former husband, and all this is detailed in the book pretty good, um, he found out that this message, and we too called our stuff the message, the bride's yeah. message. And um, we thought we were so unique. I had no idea. Even though I did uh, Mabel's hair and different ones from the tabernacle, I had no idea they called their stuff the message. In fact, they probably never once said that. In I know they didn't in front of me because we were just like friends and and not not religious stuff. We didn't talk religious stuff. We talked hair. <laughs> and uh, but anyway, yeah. So um, it it was it was very awakening when he found. Uh, he said his life just wasn't uh, measuring up. He was from South Africa very proud South African man. And uh, he said his life wasn't measuring up. And so he and a friend took a trip over to the Jewish center in Louisville, Kentucky, and started doing some research and was just blown away uh, at the plagiarism that was in her sermons and her notes and her books and, and uh, came home and delivered that information to me, which of course, being the good little cult girl I was, told him that he had the demons on him and he needed to pray and shake that stuff out off of him because Bernice was real, real smart to tell us that there was truth in everything. Uh, but, but they had like threads of truth. So she could take a thread and then, you know, Sometimes she didn't even read a Bible verse, John, in her sermons, or she would read a Bible verse. And what she said from there on next for the next hour had nothing to do with that Bible verse. But again, when you're brainwashed, you're waiting and you, you think for sure there's going to be scripture and you're just listening for this wonderful revelation she's going to give you. And so you don't put that together, but his life just wasn't adding up the way he thought a Christian's life. And fortunately, um, that's how I found out too, you know, that, that most of her sermons that we heard were not original at all. Yeah. There's so much, I mean, even, the phrase, the message, the, the label that you named yourself by is what we called ourselves. Right. And, and you were a special right. group of, first. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm learning. That's part of the, the reason I'm glad that this has postponed, because I'm learning that first I learned that the message that I grew up in, there were many different versions of that. But prior to that, it was the latter rain message. And that was from the prophecy of the book of Joel in the Old Testament, there's the former right. and the latter rain. Well, right. the Pen Pentecostals of the, you know, 1907 Azusa Street Revival, they saw themselves as the latter rain to the former rain of the day of Pentecost. Well, then right. in 1947, there was a reinvention of this, and they saw themselves as the latter rain to the other Pentecost, and it just kind of went on and on. Oh, but I'm learning that... Prior to even that, 
there was the British Israel message. And I'm starting to see advertisements of ministers holding sermons saying, we, we preach the British Israel message. And the reason I'm glad that this postponed is because, <laughs> as you know, and I'm watching your face light up, she, <laughs> Bernice Hicks, taught so deeply the theology that she was the rebirth of Israel, and there's so many signs and um, iconography and symbolism. Right, right. And, and right. Well, see, this was nothing new to her because this was no revelation of her. She got it from Branham. But then mm -hmm. take it a step further than that. This was no revelation to Branham. He got it from his mentors, and they got it from British Israelism. As I'm going through these different trails of history, one of the things that is most interesting to me as it relates to all of this, <clears throat> the, the groups that were adherents to the British Israel theology, they... There's a passage in the Bible, and I'm drawing a blank on where it comes from. You might know, but <clears throat> it talks about these things were a shadow of the things to come. Right, right. And the way, in, yeah, exactly. Well, the way in which British Israelism was able to do what they did is they said, if you read the Old Testament, it's a shadow of us today, and therefore bits and pieces of it, bits and pieces of those passages apply specifically to the 20th and now the 21st century right so what they were able to do is they could take a passage completely out of context make it mean nothing like the book even said yeah. and then preach a whole sermon and the whole audience is sitting there thinking wow that must be of god oh, <laughs> oh yes oh yes oh yes and we had in our organization, we had phenomenal music, uh, you know, because she had uh, supposedly, you know, once you leave there, you question everything you were ever told, uh, the how, how much is even true. But supposedly she had an all girls dance orchestra. And so she supposedly played an upright uh, bass guitar. And so music was very much a part of her world. She played beautiful piano. Um, and so she drew upon musicians. In fact, that was one way that she got my family because I was this little girl with this big, deep voice that I've got. And I sang and, uh, you know, I was just a little short thing and, and bold as a lion and uh, daddy would get his guitar. And so I was a little drawing card for her and boy she latched on to me and just you know all kinds of accolades every convention about oh little gail this and all this stuff and uh so she used music uh to really draw people in too so on on that side and then she used the intellect that you're talking about uh, on the, for the other types of people to appeal to their ego of learning yeah. and uh our most common phrase uh, is where, you know, uh, where are you going to go in this world to find this kind of truth? And, uh, you know, if she could retire tomorrow, she would because the load is so heavy. And uh, I used to question that because uh, when I was older, I actually was a substitute hairdresser. And so when her dresser was out, hairdresser was out of town or whatever, I'd go do her hair. And of course, she always lived in big mansions. And I don't care if anybody lives in a mansion. If you work hard, you, you can have a mansion. There ain't nothing wrong with that. Uh, but in my opinion, but um, I watched her lifestyle. and Oh, my goodness. Her food was brought to her on a platter. And if it wasn't just perfect, it got sent back. And I saw these behaviors that I'm like, wait a minute. Our big thing, our big thing was we were called the crucified way, the message of the crucified way. And I'm like, boy, she ain't crucifying her flesh very good today. <laughs> <laughs> and I learned later that, wow, I saw nothing compared to what other people saw out of her behavior. Um, yeah. So I, I really want to get into deeper of the cult system that you were in. And this was a splinter group of William Branham's message cult <laughs> right in the same city, which is really funny if you think about it. But <clears throat> before that, I have had multiple people tell me, 
and I can't confirm this, so I'm going to just throw this out there that I cannot confirm it. This may be hearsay. But multiple people have told me that it was the music that drew Bernice Hicks into the tabernacle, which does fit with my research and the reason why I mentioned that, because that is the way in which the original church was planted and the way it developed and grew. Roy E. Davis, who was the... So Roy E. Davis was the second in command of the 1915 Ku Klux Klan. He eventually rose up to become the Imperial Wizard of the Klan. He was also the director of the Fundamentalist League of America. I'm drawing a blank on the exact name of that organization, but it was the most significant fundamentalist organization in the United States. He he came to Jeffersonville and held a big revival and attracted people to it with music. And I've, I've been told that that's how he grew his church, Davis did. Then William Branham, when Dave, Davis had this problem with women, he, he liked women way too much and the underage, right. <laughs> underage variety, I'll just right. leave it at that. Yeah, that's good. yeah. He, um, he ended up going out to, um, he got extradited and went to prison after Jeffersonville. Mm-hmm. And after he left, William Branham took over his church. It became the Billy Branham Pentecostal Tabernacle. And during this time, um, Branham took the same pattern. He was attracting people to the church with the music. And okay. one of the things that he did, I, and I've been told this from two different sources. So, Again, you can take it with a grain of salt. I actually have a photograph of the group, and I'll throw, <laughs> throw that up. But apparently, William Branham went to what they called the honky-tonks, and he found <laughs> a group of people who would come play in a band in the tabernacle. Interesting. And I've got a photograph. I'll throw it up on the video, but... They would go play at the honky tonk, and they would come play at the tabernacle, and they really never. They ended up eventually attending services, I'm told. But after they sobered up, because when they were doing this, they were, you know, they're drinking and wild women and all kinds of mm-hmm. stuff in the honky tonks, mm-hmm. right? So <laughs> that's what brought all the people together, and I'm told. Now, I, again, I have a research site that it's I document right. what is proven history, but Multiple sources who don't know each other have told me this, both of these things. But I'm told that that attracted Hicks to this movement. And it kind of makes sense because she did play. She was big and deeply involved with the music. And then there was a period of time in which there was a strong division in the church itself. And this is documented by William Branham himself. He pretends to have this vision of how his home church how did he phrase it he said the uh (laughs) the the people won't will no longer eat my bread i think is the way he he phrased this always mystical yeah it's all always spiritualized right well this was in a pamphlet that was describing a 1938 ministry from william branham written by himself and he gives the timeline and he is writing this talking about his very popular 1945 healing revival. So where I'm heading, headed with all of this is, in 1947, he reinvented himself and erased the whole history. We were told that he did not get his alleged gift of healing until the very day Israel became a nation, which happened actually in 1948. But we were told that was 1947. <clears throat> so... What, what I'm driving at is, it appears to me, if I'm understanding the history correctly, something happened in 1945 that caused a massive church split in the Branham Tabernacle. And the Branham Tabernacle itself did not receive its name until 1945. Before that, it was the Billy Branham Pentecostal Tabernacle. So in 1945, there was a split. William Branham started his... Pentecostal, he erased his Pentecostal backstory. He was the he was the bishop of a Pentecostal denomination called the Pentecostal Baptist Church of God. 
1945, he became a Baptist and started claiming that I've always been a Baptist. I was ordained a Baptist. So something there happened, and I've been trying to piece together the date in which Hicks started her church, but if I could guess, and it is just a guess, I would guess it was around that same time when the church split, and then she became, you know, whatever it was that led her on the path to become the central figure of a massive destructive cult. You're right. I I could find out. I actually don't know the date that she started. Now, I do know how she did get started, though. How she got started was that there were there was a couple named Leroy and Ethel Beatty, and they had a mission on uh, oh, what's it called? Chestnut and Graham there in Jeffersonville. And um, she came back from California and and uh, she created her own little niche by what she called the Holy Ghost Witness. And so she sold this group of, of believers on her um, revelation of, of the, I don't know how you say it, we always call it the Urim and the Tumen or something like that, the Urim and Tumen, the breastplate of the uh, tabernacle and it, they went in to look for the mind of God and it would if they were supposed to do this it would light up and if it didn't it wouldn't light up so she created her uh, what she did was she came back and she got with this little group and uh, just beautiful people the Reverend uh, Leroy Beatty he was a street preacher and just an absolute saint uh, but she literally stole their uh, uh, mission by this uh, unique private interpretation of those of what those lights were and here's how she did it she is the word witness which is either I think that's the thumb and I'm not sure I forgot some of my little uh, class lessons <laughs> um, and one was the spirit witness so you have you have to have the spirit witness and the word witness she was the word witness and she's the only person on the planet with it and that's because she has sat at the feet of Jesus and given up everything just to be his, just to be his bride and so she created this this thing and so it was called a witness room and uh, so you would go in there, you'd say, should I get married? Should I buy a house? Should I buy a dog? I mean, we used to have to put, take everything uh, before this. And um, as the group as the group got larger, she couldn't quite handle it all. So she had little spirit witness groups, but you still couldn't do it until she came by her. She read it and said, yes, or yes or no. Now, this is problematic today, John, because she died a few years ago. But I have a letter that she that she put out before she died. Uh, and it's hilarious because being that she's the only word witness on the planet and you had to have the word witness in order to be in the bride. What do you do now? But she had the answer <laughs> to it. And, and I, I'm privileged to someone that I'm connected with got the actual letter where she's explaining all this stuff that they they'll still have they'll still have the spirit witness. But with this with this unique uh, uh, revelation that she had, this is how she controlled people. And having been a musician, I'm also a musician and and we're very spiritual, you know, we're very fluid people and and, you know, uh, our emotions are are pretty out there. So she knew that about and she also knew how hard it was to be famous. And um, so she really played on that. And I think one of her first people, his name was Dave Rich and he was the RCA recording uh, star. And uh, she got her hooks in on him and uh, he would became one of her main main uh, people that drew that built her company, built her business of Christ Gospel Church, if you want to call it that. Absolutely. You know, it, after having left this whole weird thing that we were in, <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. It reminds you of, of a. If Stephen King were to have written a book about religion, that's what, <laughs> what this was, right? Yes, yes. It's, it's so messed it up. It would have been good. Yeah. 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 But, <laughs> you know, these, these cults, after having left and going to a 
you know, a normal, quote unquote, normal Christian church. And I've been to a few different ones just to experience what, what is it like to try out a new one, right? The focus is on Jesus and the New Testament and the gospel and the gospel that saves. But every one of these cults that I've examined that spun off of this British Israel thing, remember, they're trying to keep you in the Old Testament under the law, under the burden of the law, which (laughs) there's so many passages in the New Testament that just really tell you how evil that is, right? Oh, I know. I mean, it's black and white. How do we not see it? (laughs) Well, they they set themselves up so that you believe the law, so that you are in this weird mindset, and then they start running these themes and their sermons of parallels of themselves to the high priest. And right. so in the end, what happens is the people in their heads, they get this conclusion, oh, this is our high priest. And that's why you see coast to coast. I mean, you can look at any of the comment threads on my videos. You'll find these people that say, well, if he's not the prophet, who is? Who's the next? Who is the one that we're supposed to follow? They're looking for one, and it has to be a human, and it's not Jesus because it's right. the high priest. And what is interesting of all of that is that you had the witness, and she claimed this was her divine revelation that she's this thing, right? Well, William Branham had what was called the private interviews, where people could go meet the, the high priest in private, and he would tell you the very secrets of your heart directly from God, and... You know, even after leaving, I th- I still kind of thought, well, he, maybe he was a prophet, maybe he had a channel to God, and he was just flawed, and he was human, and he went astray, or whatever. But then I started noticing things like the Jim Jones research. There, If you go back and you look at the sermons where Branham and Jones are both joining together in this big convention, 1956, Branham is talking about meeting with private interviews to <laughs> as a fortune teller really if you think about it right, but he's right, meeting right. with the people's temple members and in private he's giving them his quote unquote futures from god well this was jim jones in the people's temple they went to the jonestown massacre if it was god why did the god not warn them that hey every one of you stand a great chance of dying in the jonestown massacre so for exactly. me, I, I started realizing that, no, there was no going astray, and these people weren't good people to begin with. These were very, very bad people who purposefully tried to insinuate that they were the high priest so that they could set themselves up to be the central figure and control the people. And there's different reasons why people do this, either sex, money, power, or all three. But when you look at this, (laughs) you've got Roy Davis and the sex. You've got billions of dollars flowing through, billions of dollars flowing through this. There's just no end to the horrors that that they can bring on the people so they can set themselves up and get money, power, and sex. That's you're exactly right. Uh, That that is right. Correlates totally with uh, Bernie Six and Christ Gospel Churches International. Um, I can tell you firsthand as a young girl being told that uh, in this witness room, uh, like I said, you had to ask if you could date. uh, And then she told me, she told my parents, first of all, that my husband, my boyfriend and I needed to get married or we were gonna have premarital sex. Fortunately, well, it's not fortunately, but I said to my parents, because uh, I was accused of uh, being all over each other at a, a, a outing out at Deems Lake. And when my parents confronted me, because they were, t- she told my parents this. And because um, it's all about divide and conquer, you know. And I'd never talked back to my parents, but that day I did. And I said, we didn't even hold hands. What are you talking about? Well, yes, you did. And I said, I said, take me to the witness. I absolutely did not. Well, my dad, I don't think he was ever a, I know he was, and he was never a 100%er a believer in, in her um, because he didn't walk by the witness when uh, fully at all. And, um, 
several times in his ministry, he went against what she said, the witness said, but he just laughed and then they tossed it aside, but she still got it around and told me then that we needed to get married. Now, mind you, my boyfriend uh, was just graduating from high school. I was only 17 years old. And so, but the witness said to get married. And so we did. So I was 17. He was 19. We also weren't allowed to use birth control. So I was pregnant like the second month I was married and um, had my baby before my 18th birthday. Uh, I have no regrets for my children. I have no regrets that I lost out on anything. I did uh, knowledge wise and, and my kids would have probably been better off if I'd known a little bit more than I did. But um, I, I have no regrets there. So that's all okay for me personally. But she uh, put me, looking back, she put me in some of the most compromising positions. I know I am convinced within my own thinking that she wanted me to fall into some adulterous trap so that then she could control me because I found out uh, well, I know several people personally when I was still a leader within the church that uh, was had had affairs and the way she handled it was, well, you can play the piano, right? Well, instead of dealing with the, the married man and the girl that, you know, that they did the big thing with, she would, the witness would say for her to go to one of these little churches, you know, they'd call a church, somebody had 20 people and uh, play the piano. And that was the answer to that yeah. sin. And so no, so she, this, she got her control like that. And this is, uh, this is what happened with Dave Rich. Uh, he's passed now. I'm uh, very close to his son and it breaks my heart now as a, as a grown woman, uh, actually several years ago when I looked at his, uh, uh, one of his first album, Christian albums and saw how young he was my heart broke because I was affected by that man's sin later in life as our vice president uh, of the organization. He fell into adultery many times. And uh, I, I was personally affected by uh, the ramifications of one of his such affairs. And uh, so I just really didn't have any likes for him at all until one day when I was probably in my 40s, I saw that. And I looked at him and he was had to be in his early 20s. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, God, forgive me. That poor guy was totally brainwashed and sucked into that vortex of Bernice Hicks, just leading him around. He was this hungry soul. And she drew him and told him that she she could make I'm sure she told him she could make him a bigger star because I so remember clearly when we first moved here, we lived in New Albany and we were sent home with a stack of little cards that we were supposed to fill out requesting the radio stations to play his music. And that would have only been to promote him. And uh, they weren't Christian songs either. And as a little, you know, 10 year old kid, I'm like, why are we doing this? That's not Christian. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the level of control, I, Oh. The, Bi the Bible says, you know, the, the tree by the fruit it bears. Well, growing up, I, you know, I, I knew nothing about Bernice Hicks or her connection to the message. I just knew there, there was this other church there that looked a lot, a lot like ours, yes. <clears throat> but I spent a great deal of time in other states growing up. And one of the, one of the states, there was a message, a William Branham message cult that had imploded. And the people were so oppressed. They, I'm sure that they were exaggerating. One of the pe people said that they could not even buy hairspray without them getting the pastor's approval. But <clears throat> what they were trying to oh, say I is, I can totally believe that. <laughs> yeah, what they were trying to say. I mean, who who got married? Who got wh which children yep. could marry which children? Which cars yep. they could buy? If they could yep. buy a car, houses. I mean, it <clears throat> it was unreal, right? And I remember right. thinking, well, our prophet would never have been like that. These guys just went astray. And then, you know, last year we interviewed Deborah Thibodeau. I don't know if you haven't seen it. It might be it, it, it's heart wrenching to watch it. But she was in a splinter group that <clears throat> was it was created by the two men who worked most closely with William Branham, 
the Branham called them his tape boys, but they were apparently homosexual men who started a compound and they had that level of control. They were telling people similar to you. I mean, it was, they would call people out and they would say, you're about to have sex or you did have sex, whether they did or not. And Mm -hmm. they were doing the same thing. They, they had set themselves up as the high priest and they would Mm -hmm. have these private consultations. And apparently this guy had lost his mental faculties and he was having it in his bathroom, which was really disgusting. But Deborah Deborah tells her story. Well, I started to piece together because I, even still I discounted this. I thought there's no way William Branham did this. But after hearing all of these stories and looking at the Bible passage by the, by the fruit, you will know the tree. I got to thinking of my grandfather you see, in my background, I've got all of these instruments. Yes, I love them. Growing, growing up, this was not allowed. My uh, Apparently, William Branham had control over my grandfather such that my grandfather had a traveling preaching ministry, and it was filled with music. They were playing dobros, and a, my, my grandmother played the accordion. They had guitars, you know, all kinds of stringed instruments. They're from Kentucky. That's what people do. Mm-hmm. And apparently William Branham, even though he had the honky-tonk band in his tabernacle, he tells my grandfather, you're not allowed to play those because if you play those instruments, you're going to go astray. And so from that day until you know, my grandfather took over the Branham Tabernacle, during the 50 years my grandfather ran that church, you were not allowed to have a stringed instrument in the church. I was, it was really weird. I was forbidden to play, but my maternal grandparents actually gave me my first guitar, and then that turned into a battle in my house. But it was a big deal, right? And all of that came from William Branham having such control in the same way you had the witness and these other guys Mm -hmm. had the bathroom throne. This was all from the same tree, and the part that I'm still wrestling with is nothing of William Branham, nothing he taught was new, nothing Bernice Hicks, everything I've examined so far, I can find her stuff in in Branham or in British Israelism. Nothing is new. So where did these guys get it from? And I'm starting to realize Branham was mentored by one of the most dastardly individuals you've ever heard of and i'm starting to realize that a lot of that probably came from him before he went to prison yeah that's you're probably right um i know for a fact things that went on within um uh, bernice hicks's ministry and her teachings and she would uh like i said earlier um she, as you know, probably that the very sign, their, our, their sign is uh, uh, a, a star of David with a cross in the middle. Yeah. And she, she taught, and it's again, they, she could have never got away with this uh, in today's world, but she taught, and I believed it, that the Jews uh, rejected the cross. Originally, the cross was there. Well, if any adult at that time would have just thought, what are you talking about? The cross was there. There would have not have been a cross there when David had just first had the, the <laughs> star. I mean, yeah. seriously? And uh, just dumb stuff like that that you think, how did the, I left when I was 30. Mm-hmm. And and I just feel like you're, you're really not an adult till you're 30 anyway. And I had tons of questions um and but we also use the terminology plead the blood uh because she she totally took us back to the old testament and you'll also see and i don't know if you've seen that chart surely you have and they hang in every christ gospel church and it's a cross it's a like a window old-fashioned window shade that that has been painted and there's a cross uh just a background white and it's got the uh pieces of furniture of a mosaic tabernacle and then you see a crucified jesus with thorns and everything behind the uh furniture uh showing you know that and she taught that the bible was laid out in the form of a cross and all kinds of stuff but i never realized till recently uh when one time when we were talking that 
oh my goodness, <laughs> the Branham Tabernacle, and Hicks based her whole stuff on the Tabernacle. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my goodness, but the biggie, biggie, biggie thing, talking about plagiarism, uh, that that really, really did get me. And this is how this is how I ended up leaving the cult. Um, there was a, a private group that Hicks had put together called Purple Pearls. I've since learned that there was another one called Black Pearls after that, because all the Purple Pearls left her message. <laughs> they found out she was a hoax <laughs> because one of the pe one of the members. Um, started saying her name was Carolyn and she started saying something's just not right because she was her one of her uh, private secretaries and she says to me something's just not right and so she began searching and uh, there was because uh, uh, Hicks had taught had given them this set of notes the the bride side of the Song of Solomon she had a book out the song of Solomon, Solomon called the Song of Love, and then she was going to write another one because now they were on the bride side of the message. And uh, Carolyn found that book um, in a in a bookstore, I believe, in New York by Carlos Serez, and it's verbatim her yeah. notes that she handed out. It was verbatim, and I was presented those notes in a group at a dinner. Uh, that they were going to try to convince me. And I looked at every one of them and my ex-husband, I was the only person standing for the message. And I looked at them all and a couple of them were, most of them all were my elders who had were previously had been ministers with and high ranking ministers in that organization. And I looked at every one of them and I said, don't mess with me. I won't bow down to you people. I said, I will take this. And I will come back and I will confront every one of you. Y'all are the y'all are liars, and I'm going to prove it. Hmm. And wow, John, what, wasn't it you that also showed me where Bernice Hicks was plagiarizing Clarence Larkin in the same way Ronald Branham did? Yes, yes. The other chart that actually, excuse me, but the other chart that hangs in every one of her churches is the threefold nature. No. Uh, of man where you see the circles and hers is almost identical she tweaked it just a little bit but just in proportion the the teaching is the same yeah so yeah. i'm i'm learning as i'm studying this and i'm still skimming the surface there's so much more to dig into but oh, so much. clarence larkin's works were all a result of british israelism you really can't have any of those things without british israelism because Normal Christians have the gospel. They don't need this stuff. They're not going right. back to the old feasts. That's and it. Temples you don't and, need this stuff. You got you Jesus. Know, it's the gospel in its simplicity. Jesus saved, and yes. all you have to do is believe in Jesus. <clears throat> so, British Israelism, because of that, you had Clarence Larkin's works and very similar. Like Bernice Hicks and William Branham weren't the only ones that plagiarized and did this. I, in right. fact, just last week I had another cult send me these photographs wow. and they said who where did this come from and i pulled up clarence larkin's works and i sent it to him and they're like oh wow i can't believe they plagiarized this <clears throat> well all the way down to you know you mentioned the the church that looked like um the star of david and the british israel right sects were fascinated with the Pyramid of Giza, and they believed that the Pyramid of Giza was written as a end-of-days Bible, and that the passageway to the tomb where the dead Pharaoh was, the length of it was a measurement through time, and as soon as time hit the king's chamber, which was drawn a blank on the date, but it was in 1890-ish. They thought that was the end of the world. <laughs> and then when that didn't happen, they pushed it back and they continued to exactly. push it back. Yeah. But all of this would not have existed. And all of these people, these devious minds that created their cults, their destructive cult followings, they all based it off of this British Israel movement. But then they started plagiarizing each other when one would splinter off, as you noticed, Bernice Hicks splintered off from Branham. Well, oh, now she copied all of this. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, anyway, uh, let me just go to another thing. Uh, 
about the Clarence Larkin's book. I was first introduced to that. Now, to show you the control that she had over our lives. So I'm supposed to get married at 17, I do. And, and then uh, back then they had the draft. Well, uh, I could, you know, so we got uh, sent out to a little church down Dawson Springs, Kentucky. And uh, the first thing she did was tell us that, you know, spirit witness that we were supposed to go there to help in this little church. I was supposed to do the music. And uh, so we get there and we're supposed to live in this trailer with the pastor. Now the pastor was probably 25, maybe probably not even that old and his wife and their two little toddlers in a two bedroom trailer, which means the room that me and my husband had was literally had a bed in it. And we had to, we had to, put one foot in the room and then crawl onto the bed. Uh, just crazy. I found out later, uh, and this is one of the places that she planted me thinking that I could be seduced because unfortunately, again, the young man that was the pastor uh, had major sexual problems. But fortunately, I didn't know about all that stuff. And, you know, I was in love with my little high school sweetheart and I wasn't given to promiscuity anyway. That's just not who I ever was. And if somebody would have flirted with me, I'd probably decked him. And if they did, and I, I probably didn't even know it. Uh, but um, this man, I know for a fact, um, because after he left, uh, he did some confessing and God rest his soul. He's passed, so I'm not going to call his name, but he... Uh, was what was there and then would come back here to Jeffersonville and had orgies. Can you imagine? And uh, he sold insurance and his wife was going to school to be a nurse and I kept their babies. And uh, I remember he would come in uh, for lunch all the way back to where we were out in the sticks. I forget the little town that we were outside of Dawson Springs. Looking back, I know what she did. I know exactly why she did that for to me. Okay, so fast forward, that's where I got pregnant. We moved back to Jeffersonville and then the witness said that we were to go again and help at a little church in Poplar Bluff. So we move our, our you know, me and my ex-husband and my baby. And at this little church in Poplar Bluff, the pastor there, we were at his house one time and, and he was looking at some book and I'm like, what is that? And he goes, well, come here. I want to show you this. And he showed me the Clarence Larkin's book. And so I'm like, oh my God, well, when was this written? He, you know, I think I'm thinking he's showing me because they're going to sue this man who took this from our leader. <laughs> And he goes, oh, no, 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 Bill. This was written way back in, I think, 1800 or something. Yeah. And I said, but Brother Miller, that's that's our, that's our, that's our Daniel's thing. And that's our threefold nature. And that's, that's our tabernacle. And, and oh my goodness. And that looks a lot like our this. And he goes, yeah, I don't know what to say. And, but somehow he chose to stay. And, you know, cause he was a full grown adult. I was only what you know 18 years old and uh so i knew about it i saw that but like i said earlier she told us that there were threads of truth there but she's the one with the real message <laughs> and this is what you find with every one of these yeah. fake gods there they set themselves and john when i read the verse in the bible that said the word of god is of no private interpretation i'm like where was that verse all my life yeah. When you meet someone who says they have a unique revelation, they're a liar and their pants are on fire. <laughs> <laughs> William Branham quoted that that passage from the Bible hundreds of times. He would say the Bible yeah. is of no, but what he would do is he would twist its meaning. He would say the Bible is of no oh. interpret of no private interpretation, which means you can't understand it. <laughs> it's of oh. no private. So it's just so warped, oh, wow. and they they load this language in your head, so yes. they can't. Yes. You, you really can't understand it because they're just no, bastardizing no. the information in your head. Totally. Um, totally. You mentioned the Daniel seventy weeks, which is in Larkin's drawings. That's a yes. big theme through the Branham message cult. But as I'm finding in British Israelism, that was a significant theme. That's how they 
that's how they link this pyramid doomsday theology back to the Old Testament. And the, there were charts and diagrams of Daniel's 70 weeks for days. If you go back and you look, well, Larkin, yeah. Yeah. Larkin's just became, I guess he was maybe he was one of the more popular ones or maybe Bran, yeah. maybe Branham popularized it. I don't know. But yeah, Larkin, don't, Larkin is the one. Yeah. I had a minister who left the message, the Branham message, and he told me in the message, he also came across it. And he was like, well, that's really weird. This is exactly what yeah. William Branham said yeah. was divine revelation. Yeah. And it was yeah. written yeah. a <laughs> long time before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, that that's that's what they do, what you, what you just said. Uh, they change the meanings of the word. Hicks you know, bragged constantly how she knows rabbinic Hebrew. And, and you, you know, in fact, there was a time that she told us, and this is documented in notes, and, and I've got those notes. Um, and she said that you, you've got to learn Hebrew or I can't take you further in this message. And when she said that, I said to my husband, then I'm never going to go further in this message because I have no interest in learning Hebrew. Wow. Yeah. And of course I repented. Oh, I know what I was going to say a while ago. We use the terminology, I plead the blood. And uh, I mean, it was almost every time I was in church when she was preaching, she would do something or say something. and And I know now it was the spirit of truth you know, trying to stand up against what she was doing and saying. And uh, I would say, oh, Lord, put the blood over my mind so I don't doubt my leader. Devil, get away from me. I rebuke you, Satan. And you do all these gymnastics because she's telling you that the devil's going to come against your mind because the, the devil, the, the enemy doesn't want her to give you this message tonight because you can't make it in these last days if you don't have this message. That's a phrase I it. heard over and over. You cannot be saved without the message. We don't care that Jesus yeah. died to save you. No. You cannot oh. be saved without this phrase that we call the message and all of its loaded yeah. language. <laughs> yeah, loaded. Well, they ha we, ha we have our own language when you're yeah. an adult. We really do. And now I'm married to a man that had nothing to do. This is my third marriage, but this is the first marriage that I chose. And it's lasted the longest. And I'm sure it's till death do us part. It's such a different life yeah. when you when you marry the person that you choose to that you choose to marry. And that's not, you know, against the two men, bless their hearts. They were victims also. And and, and, you know, I've learned forgiveness in all those situations because, wow, when you get your eyes open and you realize how brainwashed and how manipulated you were. And another thing, John, just, you know, it, when we when you talk to someone like you, all these memories come back. Yeah. One of the things that, that messed up uh, my second marriage was um, uh, she decided we had to have midnight prayer meetings. And if you were going to be in the bride, you had to go to a midnight prayer meeting. Well, we had a, a business. We both had other jobs. You know, I had my hair hair uh, salon, and he had a regular job. Plus, we were doing a nutritional business. And we had church Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday and Sunday night. And so now we're, in, we're supposed to, to, in order to be in the bride, go to a midnight prayer meeting. Yeah. And then he went to jail service on Sunday afternoon. How can you have a family and a marriage with that kind of schedule? Yeah. I mean, you, and then everything was a sin. I mean, we didn't even drink coffee. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, oh, my goodness. In Dr. Stephen That's Hassan's cool. book, Combating Mind Control, he talks about that very thing. You do it, and you don't realize what they're doing to your head, but what they're Oh, what these cult leaders do, well, not just that, they also want to break you down. And one of yes. the easiest ways to break somebody down is to get them tired. So that's why that's when so you're in a cult, you're going to find it's Sunday morning service, and it's very lengthy Sunday morning service, Sunday afternoon. So I went to one service that <laughs> started at like 2 p.m., and it went to 7.30 or 8 o'clock one Sunday, and it's like, wow, these guys are... And then they've got Wednesday night service, sometimes Friday night service, and they're breaking you, breaking you down. 
And I'll never forget when I left this and I went to a normal church and they had a service on Sunday. I'm like, wait a minute, where's the other ones? <laughs> you got, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> exactly. Y'all aren't committed. <laughs> You're not committed. <laughs> yeah. So oh, I'm, I'm so glad we did this. We, <clears throat> For the audience, I'm going to say it out. I'm, I'm going to thank you personally on behalf of all of the people from Christ Gospel Church that have escaped and that have contacted me. I've been working with Gail for how long have I known you, Gail? It's been years. It's it has been a few years now. Yeah, it's been a few it years. Go, go fast. Yes. Gail's book. If you were in this cult and you want to get out, or if you you were in it in the past and you want to learn more about just how bad it is, this is a this is a heart wrenching book. It's a very sad book, but it tells you the story. There's and there's some happy things in here too, but this. It really describes the title is chosen well for the sake of the children of the message. It's just so wrong what they do to children. And I, this is something I, I'll try not to break down and cry, but towards the end of my time in the Branham message, just seeing a, a child on the side of the yeah. road, holding the parents' hands, I, I would actually break down and cry because wow. there's, there's just something true and genuine about that on the street. And yet I was told that they were the, the we called them cannon right. fodder. Those, those are the evil people. No, man, that's just a child. The child hasn't even grown up and made a choice of what they're going to right. be. There's not an evil right. person. And I'm told that I have to believe that these are cannon fodder and it's okay that they die. It's just so different than the gospel of Jesus Christ where you say, hey, did you know Jesus died to save you? And you too can be saved and and you can go to one service on Sunday, not <laughs> not a hundred of them. And now you can go Saturday night if you want. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, the choice of which Sunday you go. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just so it's so different. And the loaded language, I, I know I, I saw your eyes do it and Dr. Hassan mentions that in his book, Combating Cult Mind Control. You can see it in the eyes. When oh, somebody yes. gets that programmed trigger, it's, mm. again, it's like a Stephen King book. But one of the problems that many, many people have when they leave these destructive cults is they'll go to a new church, and everything's fine, everything's normal, and then the minister says one phrase, not knowing that it's loaded language right. for the cult they came right. And their right. whole head explodes inside. I still, to this day, I've been, what is it, January 1st, 2012, I left. Still to this day, I have that happen to me. It's awful. And you have to kind of rewire it in your head. But anyway, if you were in this cult, or if you've left it and you want to know more, you have to read Gail's book. Gail has been one of the biggest heavy hitters in saving people from this awful destructive cult. And um, Gail, I'll let you tell people where you can get this book. But I also want to say if if you are in it and you want help and you want to contact Gail, I, I, I work with Gail for a few years now and you can contact me me on the website, william-branham.org slash contact. I'm in direct contact with Gail. I will forward the message. And Gail, if you could tell people how to get your book. Sure. Uh, those of you who want to contact John, I can, uh, I keep a few on hand. I'll be glad to send one out um, to cover the postage and all to you. Uh, and also you can get it on Amazon. It's, it's available on Kindle or you can get a hardback or softball uh, back on Amazon. And uh, just just a testimony, uh, two weeks ago, I got a private message, and you can also go to my Facebook page, uh, Gail Batke, uh, and uh, you know, private message me there and I, we can uh, talk. Uh, but anyway, uh, I was blessed, and I get these on a regular basis, and it keeps me going. Uh, a lady who left uh, the cult several years ago, like 10 years ago, uh, just now was strong enough to ask me for a copy. And wow. uh, I was going to send her a gift copy, but she wouldn't have anything to do it. She wanted to pay. And I said, well, thank you. I appreciate it. And, uh, and she, uh, John, she told me, she just, I mean, she messaged me several times and she said, oh, Gail, 
I wished I would have had this when I left. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know, you know, I wrote it and it was years after I left that I wrote it and I rewrote it many times because I wanted to there to be no anger. And uh, there are people who were ready to kill me when I wrote it. And when they were their eyes were open, uh, John, they came back and they read my book and then they were mad that I made it so nice. <laughs> <laughs> they said you were too nice in that book and i'm like well i didn't i didn't you know i, I wanted god to purge me because uh none of it's none of it's for any other reason yeah. but for the sake of the children and we're all god's children so no matter what your age is i promise you you will you will personally benefit from the book and i guarantee you there's someone that's connected to someone in your world that can use it also because yeah. it's been it, it's it's conducive to any cult uh yeah. you'll you'll see that pattern in there yeah i wasn't even in this movement and i've like i said i've read this book multiple times it's it's a good <laughs> book and it it's really weird because your loaded language was different than our loaded language so there are things that you say that i've got to stop and think okay what's she talking about there but to somebody who's in it you would get it where it helped 100%. me was <laughs> where it helped me was we had our own loaded language. So I started the way that I read it is I started plugging uh -huh. in our loaded language instead of yours. And then I'm like, oh, that's what that is. So and, and then and to it's find, true. I mean, it's so true. Yeah. And then to find it's the same root. I mean, both of them, because she was a spawn of. <laughs> I yes. almost almost said a spawn yeah. of something else, but she was a spawn of <laughs> William Branham. Yes. So, yeah, it's it, there's just so much here. So, get, if you are in the cult, get this book. If you are still in the cult, <laughs> get this book. If you've enjoyed our show and you want more information, you can check us out on the web. You can find us at william-branham.org. For an overview of the historical research of William Branham and the Healing Revivals, you can read Preacher Behind the White Hoods, a critical examination of William Branham and his message, available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. And for Gail's book, For the Sake of the Children, The Message, written by B.G. Moody, you can find it on Amazon. And that is my birth name, in case anybody wants to know. 